Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, everyone, happy 3rd of July. This is the last week of our The Wrong Question sermon series. Before we get into that, I do want to briefly invite you all. If you're new here, you still feel new around here, I would love to meet with you right after service today. We have a meet and greet, which is just a fancy name. I know it's super fancy, meet and greet, but (laughs) pretty self-explanatory what it is. But we just want to meet you to explain uh, some history of the church, background, that sort of thing. You can ask any questions you want to ask you're still feeling new around here, there's a big meet and greet sign in the lobby. Follow that hallway back, last door on the right. I'd love to meet with you right after service today. All right, wrong question. I have enjoyed this series. I, I really enjoyed looking at stories that I know and love through this lens of asking the wrong question. We'll start a brand new ser- series, sermon series next week. Uh, called Freedom, Freedom Isn't Free, which actually has nothing to do with our very patriotic holiday. This week it sounds very um, patriotic, but it's really just about the nature of discipline and freedom, how discipline brings freedom. I know that doesn't sound super like flashy and cool, but it really is amazing when you get a hold of those concepts that freedom comes when you can self-discipline. It's amazing how that works. So I can't wait for that one. Super excited about that one. Um, But to round out this series, today's question is the first one that really isn't asked in the passage. All the other ones have been pretty cut and dry. Somebody asked the question, it's the wrong question, right? Um, This one is more implied, and it's a great place to leave off this series and to begin the next one that we're going into. We're going to read this very obscure... (laughs) random passage, but super interesting story from the Old Testament today. We're going to 1 Kings 13. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn there, get it pulled up in version or your Bible app. Uh, But this story is, is one that I affectionately call the tale of two prophets. Two prophets in this story that neither of them are named. We don't know the names of either of these prophets. Um, They play a pretty significant role in the shaping of Israel. At least, they should have played a significant role in the shaping of Israel. Uh, They had some warnings for the king. Now, Jeroboam was king of Israel at this point, but only part of Israel. Just to give you a little background before we jump into this. God had split up the nation uh, because of some worshiping of other gods, of course, some taking advantage of the blessings of God, really. Uh, God had split up the nation. He gave one tribe to the descendant of David out of respect and honor of David. Isn't that awesome? I was thinking during the song we're singing today how blessings pass from generation to generation, a thousand generations. You know, that's biblical. That whole song is biblical. Like every word is right from the Bible. But the blessings of God go for a thousand generations. Curses, generational curses, uh, sins of the father only travel three or four. It's biblical. Uh, It's amazing how that happens, but blessings are so powerful. God's hand on your life 
is so powerful. You getting free of those generational curses, the sins of your father, it's blessing thousands of generations after you. Isn't that powerful? It's amazing what God can do. And, and we see that actually playing out in this passage to some degree because even though David did some things, right? He was a great king for the most part, but it, it unraveled at the end. Um, God still honored him by, by continuing to give his descendants uh, one tribe, and eventually the Messiah came out of his line as well. Pretty amazing how that happens. But he had split up the rest of the nation, and this was King Jeroboam, uh, who we're going to talk about today, who was the son of King Solomon. Or I'm sorry, he was the, what's not the predecessor? Solomon was his predecessor. So it was David, Solomon, and then Jeroboam. And uh, Solomon was an okay king too, right? We all know Solomon. He was wise, and, and he built the, the temple for the Lord, this beautiful temple. But he went down a wrong path when he began to marry tons and tons of wives, so many wives. It made Israel very rich and very stable, very secure borders and all of that, but it also weakened their religion significantly. And what good is physical security when you are spiritually weak, right? What good is physical and national wealth and power without God being for you? I mean, if God is for you, who can be against you, right? Well, I would assert that the opposite is also true. If God isn't for you, anyone can be against you, right? And so Solomon, in that way, weakened the kingdom. And um, here comes Jeroboam. He had followed Solomon up where Solomon had, had begun to allow his wives to have just all the gods, all the gods that they worshiped in their nations, they brought with them. And he even took it a step further and gave them, like started to build them temples of their own gods in Israel. And then encouraging other people to go and worship there too. And so it just became a mess. Jeroboam made it no better. In fact, uh, he began to do sort of the same thing. The, the one tribe of David was left with the temple. And so Jews from the other 11 tribes, from Jeroboam's kingdom, they would travel to Jerusalem still uh, to worship in the temple. And Jeroboam didn't like that. Right? He couldn't just trust that God had placed him in that, that position to be the king, that, that God would be his defender. He didn't just go to God with this issue, which is really what starts this whole mess that we're going to talk about today. Remember last week, the wrong question is the one unasked. It's the one we don't ask God. When we have a need or want or desire, we should go to God with it and trust him with it, right? He didn't do that. He didn't ask God. He didn't go to God with this issue. He began to fix this problem himself by building these calves around the country, golden calves, because statues of cows had worked out so well for Israel before, right? So he puts up these two golden calves on either side of the nation, and he told everyone to come worship there instead of the city of David at the temple. And so Jews began to do just that. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. 1 Kings 13, verse 1. At the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel. Again, we do not know this man of God's name. 
This prophet was called by the Lord, obviously, to go to Bethel and deliver a message. We don't even know his name. We're calling him the young prophet. He arrived there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense, the calf altar, not God's altar. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. Oh, I skipped ahead, didn't I? He was approaching the altar to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, Oh, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense. And nobody said the Bible was PG, okay? Human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, the Lord has promised to give this sign. The altar will split apart and its ashes will be poured out on the ground. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, the one that he put up to solve his problem, right? He pointed at him and shouted, seize that man. But instantly, the king's hand became paralyzed in that position. Can you imagine? And he couldn't pull it back. At the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. Anybody have um, fear of like being trapped in small spaces or like not being able to move? <laughs> like your body being frozen, can you imagine the fear, the like panic that would overcome you? This king is suddenly terrified. He can't control his own body. The king cried out to the man of God, please ask the Lord your God to restore my hand again. So the man of God prayed to the Lord and the king's hand was restored and he could move it again. Look, for this unnamed young prophet to travel to the king's house and like, this must have taken so much guts to show up and call him out like this. Can you imagine? I mean, today, we, to travel to the president, like you have guys with guns and secret service men and like to, to give the president a message would be tough enough as is, but to give him a tough one, the, <laughs> the anxiety I would feel. And this guy shows up, there's probably guys around with swords, you know, like protecting the king and whatever, to show up and say this to the king. I mean... And then then the message is, you're wrong, you're evil, you're you're doing bad things, bad things are going to happen. And then it's almost as if God says to Jeroboam, you're not even even in charge of your own body, if I say so, much less the whole kingdom. God is reminding Jeroboam that he put him in this position and he can take him out, right? So it's, it's not a great message that this prophet has to deliver, and yet he does it. You know, there's, there's a lot of good people in this passage ultimately asking the wrong question. King Jeroboam, along with a lot of other kings of Israel, go through their reign asking God, what can I get away with and still have God's blessing? What can I get away with? What can I compromise and still have the blessings of God? Not how can I be obedient? How can I love God less? How can I love him just enough to have his blessings? Not how can I love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, right? Not with the heart of David, like how can I love you more, God? It's... 
How can I love you just enough? What can I get away with? What's the least I can do to not be punished by God? That's what King Jeroboam is essentially asking. What's the least I can do here to make it look like I'm telling everybody to worship God, but they stay in my country to do it? Feeds my ego. I I think we're asking the same type of questions all the time. What can I get away with? What's the least amount of money I can give to the church and not be in sin? Well, what's the least amount of time I can spend volunteering and giving to other people so I can have more couch and Netflix time for myself? Right, well, what, how can I sound less prideful, sound less prideful, but not do the, the tough work of actually humbling myself? Now, what's the least amount of time I can spend in the Word and the maximum amount of entertainment time in order for me to still call myself a believer? What can I get away with? I think King Jeroboam was asking this question. He didn't want to do the hard work of figuring out what God would want, right? He he wanted to do what he wanted to do. It sounded good on paper to build some places where people could go in their own hometown and worship God. But was it what God wanted? Did it serve God or Jeroboam? He didn't go to God and ask how he could best be used in God's kingdom, how he could serve God's kingdom today. Right? He didn't go to God at all. He was asking, how can the kingdom best serve me? How can the kingdom make me feel better about myself today? Not realizing that the most powerful spiritual defense that we have is simple obedience. Just obedience. Like, When you're living your life in obedience to the word of God, you don't have to go around casting things out and like warfaring all the time. You really don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. The world will be against you, but God is your defender. When you're in obedience, God is your defender. Jeroboam wouldn't have needed to defend against anything if he had just been obedient. Most of us... We give up because we don't actually believe the words written in the word. We don't actually believe them. The king didn't actually believe that God had his best interests at heart and he had power. So he took it upon himself to fix a problem that didn't need fixing. Or at the very least, didn't need fixing like that. Uh, Israel had enough false gods in their nation. They didn't need more. I think we do this a lot too. We try to fix problems that don't actually need fixing or don't need fixing in the way that we think they need fixing. Like we go outside of our marriage to fix our lust problem. If you're married, you, you probably don't have a lust problem. You have a communication problem with your spouse. That needs fixed, right? Fix that and my guess is you won't have a lust problem anymore. Stop trying to fix it on your own. Ask God how you should, right? Instead of doing the hard work of fixing your relationship with your spouse, you're asking, what can I get away with? Little porn here. Won't hurt anything. A little flirting at work. What can I get away with? Or we, we have enough to feed our families. We have our daily bread, but we don't have as much as the Joneses. So we're, we cheat a little on our taxes. Cheat a little at work. Right, we steal a little, just a little, not enough to get caught, but just enough. Like I mentioned last week with a buffet, right? 
Remember, I kind of hit a nerve with, with the... <laughs> we go to the buffet, it's 10 and under are free, but you have an 11-year-old. And for the day, he can be 10. For 12.50, he can be 10. So your integrity's worth 12.50. That's it. Just a little cheating here and there. Doesn't hurt anybody. It's a big corporation. They, they won't miss it. What can I get away with? The problem with that line of thinking is that it snowballs. When you don't have a hard line of obedience and integrity, you keep moving the line a little further and a little further. I will do this, but I won't do that today. Tomorrow you get away with that, so I, I'll do that and maybe a little more. The problem is you keep getting away with it, and so you keep doing more. Step a little toe over the line, you get away with it, and soon it's your whole foot, and before you know it, it's your whole self over that line. <clears throat> and you lost yourself along the way. Remember, faithful in a little. We must need to hear this right now, because <laughs> it's all I can talk about for the last couple of weeks. Faithful in a little, and you'll also be faithful with much. Trusted with a little, and you can be trusted with much. We don't actually believe. I don't actually believe. Our hearts are desperately wicked. You know, Jeremiah 17.9 says that. Our hearts, the heart is deceitful above all things, it says. Above all things, we like to talk about hearts as being pure or they have such a good heart. Our heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. Who can know it? I believe this is why the world wants you to pursue what's in your heart. The enemy's really good at this. He wants you to look inward, discover who you are, do what makes you feel good, right? Follow your heart. That's not Bible teaching. It's not what Jesus taught. Don't follow your heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus actually taught to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, follow God, not your heart. If you want something you shouldn't have, don't indulge. Be obedient. Instead, instant gratification isn't worth the long suffering. You'll have to endure for a moment of pleasure. It's not worth it. God knows better than we do. Can you trust him? Or will you continue to ask, what can I get away with? Like tithing for me. It was one of those moments when I was a young adult figuring out how you know, we were going to manage our, our money as a household. I realized that tithing was about trusting in God. And the more that I tried to like, cheat on that, the more I was saying, God, I don't trust you. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. If I believe God's word, if I actually believe it, my actions follow. That's faith. Faith without works is dead because if you don't do what you say you have faith in, you don't actually have faith. It doesn't work that way. Faith requires action. It's, it's belief that is so deeply held, it makes you act on it. Tithing, it's one of those things. Sometimes it's the very last spiritual discipline we can conquer because money is so closely tied to your heart. How you feed your belly 
is very important, and that's money for us, right? It's, just, it's a hard one to get over, but it's one that we constantly ask, what can I get away with? I have people ask all the time, you know, questions like, can I, how do I actually tithe? Especially people doing this for the first time, like, do I tithe on my net or, or gross? Do I tithe on my tax return? Do I tithe on, like, cash gifts at Christmas? What, what, what's the line here? And I often say, well, the words net and gross aren't actually in the Bible. Um, <laughs> I don't have a hard line for you on that, but more importantly, examine the heart with which you're asking that question. Are you asking, what can I get away with? What's the least amount that I can give to God and be in obedience? Are you asking, God, how can I be generous to you? How do I be obedient with my whole heart? There's a difference <laughs> when you're asking that question. Right, we do this with relationships too. D does God really provide for all my needs, including sexual ones, including my relationship needs, my friendship needs? Does he actually provide for all of my needs? And so we cut corners on that. Well, this guy's not a Christian, but he likes me. <laughs> but he doesn't like Jesus, so, Right? What's, what's your, are you saying he's willing to come to church just because you are? Does he love Jesus with his whole heart? Or are you asking, what can you get away with again? And what it comes down to is we don't actually believe God knows better than we know for ourselves. We don't actually, actually believe God when he says he knows how to live life best. We don't believe him. We think we know best. And so we let our guards down and we start doing what we think is best. And the sneaky one here is <laughs> you will never arrive and become the expert at this, right? Pride is one of those sneaky ones. It comes in when you're living in obedience and starting to live the good life that God intended, right? Just like the Israelites in the promised land, they got there, living the good life, flowing with milk and honey, blessings all around, and they start compromising because then they get prideful. Believe that they did this, not God, right? Believe that it's, it's somehow they're, they're just so good and awesome. That blessings just come. No, God has been protecting you. <laughs> come on, it's obedience. God will defend you when you're living in obedience. Pride sneaks in there. It's one of those when you think you have everything else conquered, suddenly there's pride. And it affects everything. It's a sneaky one. Seasons of testing will come. Especially, we don't expect these in the good times. Seasons of testing will come. Who are you when things get tough? It all depends on who you are in the good times. Who you are when things get tough depend on who you are in the good times. How you're handling the blessings of God right? We have to practice this. It's in the tough times we find out who we really are. But I've been thinking lately about the disciples in the storm. We sort of skipped over this little story uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it just hit me lately how the disciples had this big, awesome ministry moment with Jesus. Jesus fed the 5,000, and they're tired probably from serving people all day, and, and they get sent in a boat by Jesus across the sea that was known to have storms at night while Jesus goes up a mountain to pray. And I often wonder if from his vantage point on that mountain, if he could see them. 
when they're tired, when they've given all they could give, and they're meant to be resting on a boat, quietly sailing across the sea, here comes this storm. And they're tested, right? I wonder if Jesus is up there watching, like, how are they going to handle this? I want to see, right? Have they, do they really believe what I've been saying? Like, can they see the future that I've been foretelling at all yet? Do, do they understand who I really am? And that if I sent them across this lake, even if a storm comes, they're probably going to make it to the other side, right? Can they see it yet? Of course, they can't. They freak out a little bit. And here comes Jesus walking on the waves. Is it a ghost? They, they can't see it. But these seasons of testing, they come. And sometimes it almost seems like God sends us into them. Jesus sent them into that storm to test us, to to tell us what we're really made of. Because God knows, right? He knows what what we've got going on in here. But we don't often. When we are in the thick of that storm, you get to see what's actually, what you actually believe. If you really believe God is who he says he is, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. For us, it's, it's, I mean, storms, literal storms test us. We had a crazy one yesterday, right? But it could be a financial crisis, a relationship crisis, a health scare. Storms come. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. You might have trouble. You probably have trouble. You will have trouble. You will. You will have trouble because this life isn't perfect, This world isn't perfect since Adam and Eve. Because we we are given this choice, we can choose the selfish choice or the selfless one. We can choose the God choice or the us choice. This king, to get back to our story, had chosen. He had already chosen. The prophet was there to warn him, to guide him, to get him back on the right path. Sometimes people come into our lives to rebuke us as the grace of God. It is God's grace that he sent someone to yell at you. (laughs) It is God's grace, right? That he gave you a spouse that will call you out when you need it. Somebody needed to hear that today. Just discussion happened on the way here, I bet, right? It is God's grace that God puts people in our lives to tell us when we're on the wrong path to hopefully get us on the right one. This is what God is doing here. He sent a prophet to try to turn Jeroboam around. But this is really the story of two prophets, not the king, right? Because honestly, kings will be kings. They just, the, the, all throughout Israel's history, <laughs> they go from okay to worse, the kings, really. Uh, power corrupts. And, and honestly, it's not the power. I actually get kind of annoyed when people are like, all powerful people are, are evil or the rich Right? They're all evil. No, well, we're all evil. We're all corrupted. They were already corrupted before they got there. Power just makes it worse because you now can do all the things your selfish little heart desires. Right? Most of us aren't actually as altruistic as we think. We're just poor. Think about that one for a second because... <laughs> We, we look at these billionaires and think, if I had all that money, I would fix world hunger. I, I would create programs for the suffering vets in our country and, and create jobs, and I would help inner cities. And 
It's easy to be generous with other people's money. <clears throat> people, think, <laughs> people think that the Bible says money is the root of all evil. It actually doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's actually three roots of sin. Three. Money is just one of them. Greed is the root. Uh, lust and pride are the other two. <laughs> money is just a tool. Power is just a tool. Right? It uh, magnifies who you are on the inside. Our hearts are wicked. We are the wicked ones. We are the selfish ones. Money and power are just tools. This is why you shape your character when you have little. Shape your character when you're poor. Be faithful with a little. And maybe someday, if you happen to win the lottery or get a big inheritance or just build wealth yourself, you'll be faithful with it because you were faithful with a little. Now, it's the prophet's turn to be tested in our story. God had just proved himself, right? He did this weird freeze motion miracle. Uh, <clears throat> probably pretty difficult for this prophet to get up the courage to call out the king, but he did it. He was obedient. It worked out. Now the king is looking to him for help, right? Feel a little cool about that. The king is saying, you pray to God and ask him to, and he does, God does. And so there's this bump of pride that probably comes with that. And this prophet is tested. First uh, Kings 13 verse seven says, then the king said to the man of God, come to the palace with me and have something to eat and I will give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, even if you gave me half of everything you own, I would not go with you. I would not eat or drink anything in this place for the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there and do not return to Judah by the same way you came. So he left Bethel and went home another way. Great, check, one test passed, right? As it happened though, there was an old prophet living in Bethel and his sons came home and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. They also told their father what the man had said to the king. The old prophet asked them, which way did he go? So they showed their father which road the man of God had taken. Quick, saddle the donkey, the old man said. So they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. Then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said to the man of God, come home with me and eat some food. No, I cannot, he replied. I'm not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place for the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you were there and do not return to Judah by the same way you came. He literally quotes the exact words again from God, right? He knows what God has said. And yet the old prophet answered, I am a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord, bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. <sighs> was he being lied to? Yes. But was he still disobedient? Yes. So while they were sitting at the table, a command from the Lord came to the old prophet, which this kind of makes me a little bit annoyed, that the old prophet who lied gets to deliver this message. He cried out to the man of God from Judah, this is what the Lord says, you have defied the word of the Lord and have disobeyed the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back to this place 
and ate and drank where he told you not to eat or drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. Here comes the, again, a not PG part, okay? If you're under the age of 13, watch out. After the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him, and the man of God started off again. But as he traveled along, a lion came out and killed him. His body lay there in the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. <laughs> the, don- the lion came out, killed him, and hangs out. Like what? People who passed by saw the body lying in the road and the lion standing beside it. People saw this, and they went and reported it in Bethel where the old prophet lived. Don't you love the Old Testament? It's wild. <laughs> but this happened. Like, immediate punishment for disobedience. Doubting God's word can be dangerous. Look, I, when I first read this story, I was like, God, I have so many questions. Maybe the young prophet was tired and he had just gone through all this stuff with the king and the anxiety that must have come with that. And then the afterward, you know, you're tired. I'm tired of traveling. He had traveled a long way. Maybe he was tired of being alone or tired of everyone being out to get him in the country, like having a pity party for himself under that great tree. I I get that. Maybe he was just hungry. He was hungry. God, (laughs) come on. Like, why can he not eat or drink anything? But you know what? It started to hit me. Maybe he hadn't fasted enough in his life. He hadn't practiced being hungry and tired enough in his life, and he didn't know how to handle being obedient through hunger. Maybe his, his flesh's needs were screaming too loudly, and he hadn't trained himself to be faithful in a season like that. Like faithfulness is something you build in good times. This struck me, actually, during worship today. I didn't even plan to say this, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to me about there's so many spiritual disciplines that we have are built in crisis. We, we grow a lot in crisis. Faithfulness isn't one of them. Because in crisis, you're often not able to do all the things you usually do. Faithfulness is built in the good times. It's showing up at church even when you don't feel like it on a Sunday morning, but you have no reason not to, <laughs> right? It's tithing even when you don't know how ends are, are going to meet. It's not a crisis. It's just a low week, and I could not, and that would help. It's, faithfulness is built in the good times, and it protects you when you come to the bad time, when, when you're in the crisis season and things go wrong. We are to build faith. Build faith. It's not just something you put on. You build it brick by brick. Day after day of reading the word. Day after day of, of worshiping God. Day after day of being faithful. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Christ. You, if you haven't been feeding yourself the word, you're hungry. <laughs> And the first thing that comes along that looks like it's going to fulfill you, you're going to take it because you're hungry. I get this way sometimes where I'm, I get lazy in Bible reading or I get, I don't know, tired at the end of the night and I skip it. And I'm, a few days into that, I'm like, what is wrong with me? I feel this like gnawing, like emptiness. I want to fill it with stuff. And I'm like, oh, 
haven't been eating properly. Right? Anybody get in these modes where you're like just eating junk food? And it's <laughs> junk, more junk, more, and you're, you're hungry all the time, but you're eating all the time. You sit down and have a good meal, it sustains you for a while, right? And it's nutritious and it feeds your body. This is the difference between Bible reading and just entertaining yourself. Read the word, eat the word, live and breathe the word. That's what sustains you. Instead, we fill our minds with this junk, scrolling videos on social media. We're constantly watching Netflix or whatever. Whatever We're filling our minds with things that just, they don't sustain. Faithfulness is built in the everyday moments. The moments and the little decisions. I could go lay down on the couch or I could go read my Bible. <laughs> the little moments. And faith is a powerful force. It's by faith we please God. By faith we walk on water. By faith we heal. By faith we receive our salvation. It's not something we can do on our own all of the time. In fact, we weren't meant to. We're meant to wait upon the Holy Spirit and follow his lead. And most of us, we cave when things get a little crazy. A little stormy, we're hungry and tired, we haven't built our faith in the good times. I think, it is my theory that this is what happened with this prophet, right? But it goes on, we're going to see a little bit more of the story. Verse 26, when the prophet heard the report, he said, it is the man of God who disobeyed the Lord's command. He knew it was the lion on the road that killed him. The Lord has fulfilled his word by causing the lion to attack and kill him. Then the prophet said to his son, saddle a donkey for me. So they saddled a donkey. He went out and found the body lying in the road. The donkey and lion were still standing there beside it, for the lion had not eaten the body nor attacked the donkey. So the prophet laid the body of the... And that, by the way, that is why I think the lion was still standing there, to prove to this prophet and everybody else that this was a God thing, not a natural thing. Lion's just chilling. He's not eating the body. He had no reason to attack it. Wild animals don't usually do that unless they're provoked or hungry. He's sitting there chilling. No reason for him to do this. It had to be a God thing. So the prophet laid the body of the man of God on the donkey and took it back to the town to mourn over him and bury him. He laid the body in his own grave, crying out in grief, oh, my brother. Afterward, the prophet said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones for the message the Lord told him to proclaim against the altar in Bethel and against the pagan shrines in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. But even after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways. He continued to choose priests from the common people. He appointed anyone who wanted to become a priest for the pagan shrines, and this became a great sin and resulted in the utter destruction of Jeroboam's dynasty from the face of the earth. I, I feel like I say this a lot, but I tend, when I first read stories like this, I'm like, God, I have a problem. Like, all of this is a problem for me. I have issues with this because the old man did this. Like, he lied and now he's going and getting the body and acting like the savior. I, I have a problem with all of this. It's the old man's fault. Every time I go to God with issues like this, I always get put in my place though because we don't know the old man's punishment. We don't know if he got punished for lying in fact because it's not about that. I, there is no room for the blame game 
when you're trying to be obedient to God. This is what all of us do all the time. The second we step out of line, the second we're disobedient, the second we lie at a buffet line, we have excuses. It's everybody else's fault, not ours, right? There is no room for the blame game when we're obedient in Christ. I was very annoyed for a while that the old man was the deceiver here, but we don't know what he got in return. I wanted to know what he got. I wanted to know the punishment for him. The, the bottom line is, we don't know the, the, the man's motivations. We do know he did it knowingly. We know he lied, right? Maybe he was out of the will of God for a while and God wasn't speaking and he was jealous. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to see how, how to get his mojo back, like the young prophet. <laughs> but this thought just occurred to me. Maybe he was honestly looking out for Israel. Right, like if this young prophet passed the test, then he was worthy of the, the national attention that he was about to get, worthy of the leadership that the people were about to throw on him for prophesying something correctly. And if he wasn't worthy, maybe better to know now before he leads more people astray. <laughs> maybe the old prophet knew what he was doing. Uh, maybe it was wiser than... I'm giving him credit for. And the young prophet actually didn't deserve the leadership he was about to receive. Right? The, the man of God, the young prophet, he knew what God had said and he allowed himself to be deceived. We often talk about deception like it's a, somebody else's fault. They deceived me. But we often allow ourselves to be deceived. He knew what God said. We know he knew what God said because he said it twice, word for word, in this passage. He had purposefully placed his trust in the wrong person because he was hungry, tired. He wanted a friend, right? There is no blame to be placed there other than in himself. He trusted the words of a stranger who said he was a prophet over God himself. A lot of people out there right now, a lot of Christians deceived, allowing themselves to be deceived by all kinds of things. The news, the, the culture, the, the YouTube prophets that are all over the place. You're allowing yourself to be, there, there is a defense for that. It's called knowing the word and trusting it. Know it and trust it. Now, this story is about staying. It's about being faithful even through deceit, even through the storm, even through the testing seasons, even through what feels like the valley of the shadow of death. It's about relying on no one else but the word of God. Like the word of God is our roadmap for our life. It's meant to be our compass, our everything. And yet most of us I have no basis for this number, but I bet 90% of Christians, probably a lot more, in America today, only hear the actual word on Sunday morning. We don't get it for ourselves. Not that it's not available, because it's available. It's never been more available. You can listen to it. Your phone will read it to you. That's laziness right there. Not really. It's actually some, the way that some people learn best. But I'm just saying it's never been easier 
to access the word of God. And it's about trusting that over everything else. Are you the kind of person that can withstand temptation? Have you built the kind of, not temptation, deception? Are you the kind of person that has built the kind of faith that can withstand deception? That knows the Holy Spirit's voice. You know, sometimes when somebody's lying to you, you get this little check in your spirit. The Holy Spirit whispers a little bit. "Mm, That doesn't feel right. There's something not right. Everything they're saying is right, but something doesn't feel right. The Holy Spirit can whisper those things if you know his voice well enough. If you know what he would say by knowing what he has said in the word. The overwhelming thread and theme of this series has been resisting selfishness. We're always asking the wrong question because we can't see the selfishness within ourselves. And we think our bodies need food now, like five minutes ago. I'm pregnant, so I always need food, like immediately, if not sooner, right? I get it. Our bodies scream loudly for food. But we don't often need it. Not in America. Not all the Americans that I know are very well fed. We don't often need it. We want it. There's a difference. We're always asking what we can get away with, how this benefits me. When is God going to start serving me? Newsflash, it's not about you. It's not about you. We pitch salvation sometimes like it's all about you. It's all about how you can feel in God's presence, how how you can be free and know peace and joy again. And all of those things are true and they do happen and they are good. But once you're through that, you're now on the other side of salvation trying to become a Christian. Your life is now bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is no longer yours. It's his not yours anymore. He set the example for us that we lay down our lives for our friends, right? That that we deny ourselves and take up our crosses and we serve the people around us even at our own expense. That is not what the world preaches. You stand up for you. You look out for you. Don't let anyone walk all over you. Jesus let everyone walk all over him for me so that I could experience salvation. Hey, look, the gospel is powerful because it, it, it gives total carte blanche. It, it's not powerful because it gives total carte blanche and total freedom and you can do what you want. It's powerful because there is a line. There is a line. There is right and wrong. And God defines that as the eternal creator of the universe, not you here today and gone tomorrow. The gospel is powerful because sin does exist. Our culture often wants to say it doesn't. Right? You do you. Your truth is your truth. No, there is a line. There is good and wrong. There is evil. And it's within me. It's not out there lurking. Everybody else is evil. It's within me. I have an evil problem that only Jesus can fix. I have a selfishness problem that only 
Jesus can fix. Maybe through this series, God has been revealing a little of that selfishness in your life. It's something you've allowed to creep in that shouldn't be there. You've been asking God to bless you and your plans instead of asking God how you can serve Him. Maybe you're unsure of where that line even is anymore. The Word defines that line. We have to be people who live in the Word. Know it, believe it, trust it, breathe it, eat it, and drink it, that it it consumes us inside and out because that is our roadmap, our our compass, our inner guide. We're so lucky that we get this Word written down. I think we take the Bible for granted so much. It has never been so easy to consume the Word. In history, we take it for granted. We, we rely on pastors and evangelists and YouTube prophets to read it to us and explain it to us. All you need is the Holy Spirit. All you need is the Holy Spirit. We have so much more. I've been saying this this whole series, but BibleGateway.com, BlueLetterBible.org, YouVersion.com. There's so many resources out there for you to know the Word. asking the wrong question. This series has been about a lot of things. It's been about asking selfish questions. It's about asking God for the things that we need. It's been about being okay with not knowing everything because He does. It's been about trusting the Word of God. Today, to round out this series, to finish it well, what I think we need is a time of repentance. A time of just saying to God, look, I'm sorry. I've been acting selfishly. I've been trying to get away with things that I know aren't good for me. I think we need to actually feel a little of that remorse and shame. We need to say, I'm sorry to God and we need to give it to Jesus. Acknowledge that what you've been doing isn't right and it isn't helpful and it may feel good in the moment, but it only hurts things in the long run. Acknowledge that and then ask Jesus for forgiveness because he forgives every time we ask. Every time. Don't shove it under the rug again. Don't go home. If there's been something nagging at you this whole series and you just haven't dealt with it, don't go home today without it getting dealt with. Without you saying sorry for it, deal with it. Sometimes dealing with sin means confessing it to another believer. Saying it out loud to someone else. But breaking secrecy can set you free. Now we have a prayer team available here after service. Every service tells someone, someone safe, someone that can pray with you through that. I can almost guarantee you it's not as shocking as you think it's going to be break that secrecy. When we don't deal with our sin, God does. Look what happened with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat? Jeroboam. (laughs) Keep getting these names mixed up. Look what happened with Jeroboam. His dynasty was wiped off the face of the earth. And the prophet and the lion. (laughs) I mean, it probably won't happen for you that way, but God deals with sin. He is not a God that will allow selfishness to go on forever. He will stop it eventually. Be sure your sin will find you out. 
biblical from the book of Numbers. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's the nature of sin. It will find you out unless you confess it, repent of it, and get free of it today. Stop asking, what can I get away with? And start asking God, how can I be more obedient? How can I love you with more of my heart, soul, and mind, with all of it? It's living in the light, living righteously, living free, not looking over your shoulder all the time with guilt and shame, but head held high, shoulders squared. That's freedom. That's what we're gonna talk about over the next series. But for right now, can we just all bow our heads? Father, today we we enter into this sort of solemn time of repentance, of examining our own lives, looking at, at ways that we've been asking, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? How can I do the bare minimum in the kingdom? get blessed by God. God, help us be people that love you with our whole heart and mind. Bring up things right now in our minds and our hearts that we need to work on now. Not to bring guilt and shame because that's not from you, but to bring repentance and freedom. See, the Holy Spirit, He provides conviction. There's a difference between conviction and guilt. Guilt and shame will make you want to run the opposite direction from God. It will make you want to hide your face. Hide from God. Because you're not worthy and you know that. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit does. And He brings up things that need to be fixed and dealt with. But they make you want to run to God. Because here's the amazing thing about God. He knows what you've done and He loves you anyway. He loves you intensely. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for that thing that you've been hiding. That conviction from the Holy Spirit, it pulls you to God because it also makes you realize his intense love for you. You want to be obedient because he loves you so much. So much. He loves you anyway. Today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would say, I have something to repent of today, just between me and God, I need to say, I'm sorry. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just slip it up right where you are. I repent. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop. Because repentance goes deeper than I'm sorry. Repentance means turning away from that thing and walking the opposite direction. If you're raising your hand today, you're going to deal with it. You're going to partner with someone in prayer after service or tell somebody in your household, a spouse, a friend. You're going to go home and you're going to sit with God alone and say, God, I'm sorry and I'm done with this. Teach me how to be better. Father, thank you for every hand raised in that moment. Be with them. Bless them, give them freedom, joy, and peace with that decision. Help them see how life can be so much better without that little piece of selfishness. God, teach us how to be selfless people, vibrant, passionate, selfless people before you.
thank you for conviction. Thank you for your word that it guides us, corrects us, rebukes us when necessary. Help each and every one of us be people of the word. We would know it, live by it, breathe it, that it would be everything to us. Make it come alive for us. And then help us go out from here and teach others, show others, bring others in. Help us be a light in our community. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, I don't want to leave this moment without giving an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before or it's been a really long time. And today you want to come back to him. You want to say, I'm in. I'm into following him. I'm into living my life for him. I'm into the forgiveness and love that comes with him. All of it. I want all of it. I'm in. I want to be a follower of Jesus. If that's you today and you're sitting in the room, would you just raise your hand nice and high? If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. Raise your hand high if you're here in the room and Asher's just going to give you a small card that helps you with that decision. Okay. Father, once again, we thank you so much for your word. Let us go out from here not sulking and feeling guilty and feeling shame that comes with conviction and, and just thinking about our selfishness and all of that. But let us go out with honestly with heads held high, knowing that you love us so much, so much. You are so good. Your love pulls us back to you. That that love is to be celebrated. I could sing of your love forever, the Bible says. I, I want to celebrate that love forever. It is so intense and amazing. God, let us all leave with that knowledge, that your love pulls us back. I want to be obedient because of that love. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on that cross. God, help us to ask the right questions. Help us to come to you with humble hearts. Help us be people of, of vibrancy, of passion and selflessness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.